So, good morning, Real Life Church. Please take your seats. If we have not met yet, my name is Melanie, and uh, together with Stuart, who isn't here this morning, you will have noticed that Asher was sitting in Stuart's seat. So Stuart is in Sheffield um, today, preaching at a church there. Their current church leader is um, quite poorly and has been in and out of hospital and they needed to cover some preaching dates. So Stuart has gone with Matt Bowen um, to go and speak up in Sheffield. So um, he's preaching on Jesus. You'll be pleased to know his message today is called It's All About Jesus and he's preaching from Mark. So um, that's why he's not there but uh, the rest of us are here. So this morning I want to um, speak in to something that, something that I saw on social media as a hashtag that really caught me and then began to um, form in my head something that I knew I wanted to speak into. So what I saw was this. It was when we were coming up for the coronation of King Charles, um, and it was a hashtag that was hashtag not my king. And I remember when I read it, I remember just thinking, Oh my goodness, here we go again. This, and and I'm, what I'm not saying here is anything political or I'm not a royalist, I'm not saying anything like that. What I think that hashtag speaks of is an individualistic society that clearly thinks it's all about me. And then I went through on the hashtag some of the posts and just thought, oh, I'm just curious at really how depraved we are as a society. So I thought, I'm just going to read some of them. I kind of wish I hadn't really. You know when you go down a rabbit hole and you think, how have I ended up down here? But anyway, um, what it made me realize is that is that we say all kinds of things, but a lot of it comes out of our culture, comes out of our kind of life experience. So hashtag not my king is so, I think that sums up a Western world mindset so the, the country says we have a king, and then we decide, is he my king or not? Can I have my drink this way or that way? Can I do church in the way? So you meet a little bit too early. I wouldn't mind it if you uh, made my drink extra hot or my seat extra cozy or you sang the songs that I like. Not, you know, because it's not about Jesus, it's about me. I would like my drink this way, I would like my seat this way, I would like church this way, so it's not quite working for my kids, I'd like you to do it all like this, or it's not quite working for me, I would like it all like... So I kind of feel like that hashtag, it felt uncomfortable when I read it, because I just thought it basically sums up a Western world mindset that actually it's all about me. And what I was saying to Stu when we were chatting about it, is I was like, actually, it's irrelevant. We do have a king... And he is king of our country, whether we recognize it or not. And then when I started thinking about it, I thought, actually, we do have a king, King Jesus. Whether I recognize it or not, the Bible says he's the king of all kings, whether I will acknowledge it or not. Whether I think, well, he's not my king. Whether I believe it or not, he is still the king of all kings. And so what often happens with me in my gift mix, so I'm, I would say I'm wildly prophetic or I'm a prophet. That's what I would say. That's how I kind of function. 
I lead and I operate out of that, really. I see, I hear things, I catch things in God, I see future things. And the way that I function or operate is something catches me and then God starts speaking. And so literally for the last three weeks, all I've heard God speak to me about is him being the king. All I've felt him ask of me is that I would bow down. And so I've got to be honest, while I'm up here on the stage being nice and vulnerable, it's been an uncomfortable few weeks for me where Jesus has been poking me and saying, am I the king here? It's even been uncomfortable in really funny situations, like when I've walked into Costa and ordered my drink. So now this is how ridiculous my drink order's got, just in case you ever want to take me out for a Costa, all right? So this is my drink order. I will have a medium hot chocolate with coconut milk because they now no longer do almond milk. But because it's coconut milk, it froths up loads. So I have to ask for my drink to be wet. Otherwise, it comes with half a cup of froth. So I say, I would like a medium hot chocolate made with coconut milk. I would like my drink wet, and I would like, which I just think is the funniest thing to say, and I would like it extra hot, please. And every time I've ordered my drink, what I'm reminded of is I live in a culture that is all about me, but not only do I live in it, I am also all about me. And I have had some uncomfortable moments the last few weeks. So can I just say, it is going to be a little bit uncomfortable in here this morning. I want to ask you to pop your seatbelt on and cling on, because we are going to get to the good stuff. I'm going to bring a few warnings, and I'm going to bring some good stuff, but it is going to get a little bit icky. I'm going to tell you some of the bits that have gotten a little bit icky for me over the last few weeks, just so that you don't feel on your own squirming uncomfortably. Is that okay? Good. The way I work is that I will chuck out loads and loads of things and I'd love you to write down anything that sticks with you, applies to you. I would suggest that you, if you feel offended by anything this morning, assume that God is speaking to you as opposed to I'm trying to offend you. I'm, I'm not trying to do that. I want to deliver what I think God's got for us here in this current moment in our culture, but in our church as well. And I want you to take away the things that you think, oh, it's a bit ouchy. I might like to go to God with that. So we're going to get into the book of Revelation. You'll be pleased to know I am going to read the Bible this morning. Um, and I'm going to give you a little bit of input in how to handle this book. So it's the last book in your Bible. So before we read any of it, I'm going to give you a few little bits on how to handle it, if that's all right. If you're used to reading the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and you just think, oh, okay, fine, just drink your drink. And, and I'll be over in a moment and then we'll get into it. But I have found sometimes in certain books in the Bible, I found it helpful just to get a little bit of instruction in how to approach it, how to read it so that I don't end up down weird rabbit holes. So I'll do you a quick bit on Revelation, then we're going to read it, then I'm going to bring a warning and an encouragement. The warning will be a bit icky, the encouragement is going to be beautiful. So just hang on in there. It's a book that is not about John, it's not about the beast, it's not about the four horsemen, it's not about the dragon or the woman or anyone else. This 
book, the book of Revelation, is all about Jesus. It should really be called the Revelation of Jesus. It's a letter from a guy called John, and it's written in Patmos, where John was exiled by the Roman authorities for talking about Jesus. Most people think this is John, the disciple of Jesus. He never says that in the book of Revelation. He never says that's who he is but he never says that's not who he is. So most people assume it's the disciple Jesus loved. What we do know is he's someone who loves Jesus. He's a prophet and an apostle. So he's speaking into local churches. It's a letter that is written to seven actual churches that are full of actual people. And we need to understand that when we read our Bibles. So it was a letter written at the time to seven actual churches. So it's important when we read our Bible that we first work out what was he saying to the seven actual churches that he wrote to in that time before we get into what does it mean to me. John gives an account of some visions and some dreams that he's had. And he gives a warning about what the times are going to look like. And then he says, have no fear, keep going because Jesus ultimately wins. The whole point of the book is that we get to Jesus. The whole point of the book is that we understand no matter what is going on around us, that ultimately Jesus wins. However fierce, harsh, the persecution, the battle is, however tricky it is, however troubling it is, we will at the end of time get back to Jesus and he will wrap the whole thing up. For what it's worth, I think prophecy should look exactly like this. It should be all about Jesus. It should give us a warning of what is to come and then it should give us courage to keep going. So the prophetic ought to have that kind of hint to it. So if ever you receive a prophetic word, I would check it. Is it about Jesus? Does it warn me or tell me about a future? And does it help me keep going? So it doesn't mean it's fluffy and it strokes your belly and says everything's going to be fine. It might say it's going to be tough out there, but you know what? Jesus will be with you. It might say it's going to cost you this, but he's going to be with you. And the real encouragement in prophecy is to endure and keep going. It's the last book in the Bible, Revelation. It's an apocalyptic book so it's an unveiling and uncovering so it's got it's full of symbols it's full of numbers it's got things about it that you might think whoa that is so weird so it stars are angels lampstands are churches it's got symbols that the original hearers would have understood would have known exactly what was going on. It's got numbers like 3, 7, and 12 that's repeated over and over again. But they are merely numbers that the Old Testament uses over and over again. It is not the Da Vinci Code. We're not supposed to go looking around at dates and and world leaders and weird events and go, oh, it means that. We're supposed to look back at the Old Testament Supposed to go, oh, there were 12 tribes, there were 12 disciples. Oh, it makes sense in the end that there'll be 12 tribes standing before the throne. Oh, it talks about three and Trinity and God being three. Oh, that makes sense. Oh, seven in the Old Testament was a number of completeness. So like finished, done, seven days. 
So when it talks about there being seven bowls, seven trumpets, it's simply saying it's complete, it's done. So they're not numbers that we're supposed to go crazy looking around at. We're supposed to look back in our Old Testament and see the ways in which God has revealed himself over and over again. It was the kind of writing that was familiar to the people at the time. Maybe not so much to us, but it's not something we're supposed to look future and start working weird things out. You need to pay attention in the book of Revelation where it says hear and where it says see. So whenever John hears something and sees something, so hear is usually what has been revealed to John. So he heard a lion, he saw a lamb. We're supposed to see what the prophet sees. He heard 144,000. He saw a vast crowd. We're supposed to see, not get caught on the 144,000 over here. Supposed to see the vast crowd. So when we approach this book, when we look at this book, we need to approach it like that, understanding its background. There was persecution going on. Christians were being killed left, right and centre. The book was bringing hope and a vision and a future. Was saying, although there's a battle on, this gets better. We win. And they were supposed to endure and keep going. So I've got some people that are going to read a few chunks for me from Revelation. So Sarah's going to start us off from Revelation 1, 4, and 5. So this letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is who always was and who is still to come, from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin by shedding his blood for us. Lovely. And then Georgina's going to read for us from Revelation 17, 11 to 14. The scarlet beast that was, but is no longer, is the eighth king. He is like the other seven, and he too is headed for destruction. The ten horns of the beast are ten kings who have not yet risen to power. They will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. They will all agree to give him their power and authority. Together they will go to war against the Lamb. But the Lamb will defeat them because he is the Lord of all lords and King of all kings. And his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. And then Lara, she's going to read Revelation 19, 11 to 16. No pressure, Lara, but this is one of my favorite chunks of scripture. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword 
to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. So I'm going to pull out three lines very simply from uh, those three bits from Revelation. Uh, I want to pull out the bit from Revelation 1 verse 5, which says, and he is the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the world, of all the kings of the world. And then from Revelation 17 verse 14 Together they will go to war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them because he is the Lord of all lords and the King of all kings. And then lastly, from Revelation 19, verse 16, it says, On his robe and at his thigh was written the title, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hashtag not my king won't really work here. And so... If Jesus is who the Bible says he is, which is the king of all the kings of the earth, the king of all kings, if Jesus is the king of all kings, then really what we are looking out for on the earth is how we help people see him, how we help people recognize him. Really what what God has left the earth open for is so that people have got a chance to respond to him. It's the only reason we still draw breath. It's not because God wants you to live out your dreams or he wants you to uh, accomplish all the things that you've got in mind for your life. It is because he is giving enough time for men and women to respond to the sun. He's giving enough time and he's stretching it out because he is so patient and so kind so that men and women can get to that exhausted point where I've built all I can build and I've done all I can done and it's still not enough and they will fall down and bow down and worship him. So it means in our own lives, our priority is not hashtag he's not my king or even I'm the king. It is our priority in our lives is making sure that people can see him in as many different ways as we can. It means that whatever I do, I do it for the glory of God. So whether you're at work or school or college, your priority is how do I make him seen? How do I make him known? Because I understand he's the king of all kings and the only reason the earth is still in motion is so that people have got a chance to see him. It's the only reason God has not wrapped this whole thing up. So I'm going to bring a bit, a few bits of warning. This is the uncomfortable bit. If it's not uncomfortable, it's because you're perfect and you've got it all sorted. And quite honestly, I think Jesus might take you home then. Um, if, If it feels uncomfortable, please don't shy away from that. I've learned over the years that when stuff spoken by leaders in church or preachers or when it feels like they're getting at me or it feels like they're trying to, I'm trying not to look at anyone, feels like they're they're looking directly at me. You know that feeling where you think, oh my gosh, why did they? keep looking at me Um, it's not that it's the Holy Spirit and I've learned that over the years I've learned that from wrestling and thinking what were they saying why would they say that even my own husband is that is usually the preacher here and I think to myself why would he 
say that? What I know is that the Holy Spirit works on, on us and niggles away at stuff until we deal with them. So if it feels uncomfortable, I would just sort it down and go away and do something with it. So what I'd like to do is just start with exposing what I think is a Western world king. And it's if I had mirrors for you all, I'd just hand them out. In, in our Western world, the, the biggest battle for us, I think, in 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 having Jesus as our king is that in a Western world mindset, we are incredibly individualistic and it's all about me. And the way that we know that is, is how we approach church, how we approach life, how we approach Costa, how we approach everywhere is actually... I don't like, so it would be fair, it, I don't know if you're the same, in our house, when we get home from church on a Sunday, we do a little, you know, review, I love that song, really can't stand that song, really liked it when they did that, not really sure about that, loved this, didn't like that, as if it's about me, as if it's about us. As if the songs are there for me, as if the preach is there for me and not actually as an offering to God or not just being faithful to scripture. And so I, I've, I've worked it out over the last few weeks. I've been so uncomfortable with the amount of things in my life that actually are about me. I thought, oh no, why does that even matter? It's uncomfortable, I think, but it's a king of our culture. And if it doesn't submit and come under the kingship of Christ will struggle I think to help people see him will struggle to help people understand that when I come into this place it's not about me it's not here for my entertainment it's not here to enrich me or to bless me or it actually is an offering to God well like that I mean that that changes everything that means that, that I come in much lower and I serve, and I, but actually it's a clash of cultures. And that's uncomfortable for us. So it might not be that I don't have the snacks that I want or the drinks that I want or the timings that I want or the songs that I want. It might be that not everything's great for my kids or great for my partner. Or great. It, it, it might be that it doesn't always work. It might be that sometimes it's disappointing and, and upsetting. or it might, There are all kinds of things, but actually, when I boil it down, it's that actually this is not about me. This is about him. This is about him building a family, a community, something that welcomes people in. In a Western world mindset where I am the king and the goal is independence, I have to watch my parenting so I've been so mindful the last few weeks over the drive and push to make my kids independent. And I've been wondering why there's sometimes that jars on me because I am a mummy mummy. Like I, I never, ex I expected to be a Gina Ford mummy, like regimented, like but I, I did not expect to be a gooey mummy mummy. I'm a gooey mummy mummy. And I, I love our unit and I love us being together. I feel this constant drive in the background. Independence, independence. They must be able to do that on their own. They must be able to... And I think, how much of that is a Western world mindset that says, I'm the king. 
And how much am I training my kids to also live like that? An Eastern world mindset is much more interdependent, much more heavily rely on one another, much more about family. So I've been, the last few weeks, been really wrestling with things, thinking, what is my goal for my kids? Is it that they would stand on their own two feet, be able to do everything on their own? Or is it that we would teach them to be in family, rely on one another, lean on one another, When stuff goes wrong, call on people. Not clamber over everyone, make the most, be the best. It is that, is that. And I've been wrestling, or it has felt uncomfortable in places. I've been looking at the the screen time thing and thinking, actually, as parents, we have allowed the internet to parent our kids. Because actually, in places, that is just easier We've allowed them to break off from social time and allowed them to be independent of us, separate to us, in a world that quite often most of us know nothing about. And that I, I've been wrestling with that, thinking, what, what does that look like? Everywhere I've been this week, I feel like what I've seen is people out in family groups on their phones, not with one another, not discipling one another, mentoring one another, helping one another, not leaning on one another, talking things through, but sucked into something that, quite frankly, is individualistic, is a world that, that, that just pretends it's community when it just isn't. And I've been wrestling with it, just thinking, what do I do with that? If he is my king and he has called me into a kingdom that relies on one another, that helps one another, that sorts, that builds something that's genuine and not fake, what do I do with that? And it's not easy. It feels uncomfortable. I've been having conversations with us as a family just saying, how do we do this when everywhere around says this is normal, this is right, this is what we do? How do we stand different? How do we say, no, he's my king? And so we've been reviewing parenting. We've been reviewing marriage time. We've been just reviewing what it feels like to be in a community. I have to be honest, that's felt uncomfortable for us. And it will be costly for us as a family going forwards because there are some things we're going to change. There are some things we're going to do. There's a current belief that I get to decide who I am. So I am who I say I am. So I get to decide, and I do apologize in advance if this comes out like I'm being really um, not very caring. I am. I do understand the struggles. But I get to decide now my gender. I get to decide my pronouns. I get to decide I am who I say I am. And that comes into such direct conflict with a kingdom and a king who says, you are who I say you are. I am who he says I am. And that is such a direct clash. And we do our kids no favors by helping them accommodate a belief system that is anti the gospel, a belief system that is anti a king. And I I think we've got to walk this next bit as grown-ups really well. 
We've got to work out what does the Bible say? What does the gospel say? What is the king and the kingdom saying? And how do I outwork it where I am? If he is the king of all kings, then who he says I am, I am. And we have to teach and train robustly into that. In our homes, we've got parents like, I feel like I want to appeal to you this morning. Work it out from the Bible back, not the other way. Don't work out what the culture's saying and work out how to make it fit with what the Bible says. Work out what the Bible says and then track it back. So if the Bible is clear that he's the king and he speaks identity, and he speaks worth, and he speaks value, he speaks sexuality, he speaks gender. If those belong to him, work it out from that point back. And I'm not saying that's going to be easy. I think we have got some tricky times ahead of us. I think in this town, we are going to have to say some things that are going to be very unpopular. We are liked here in this place, and I love that. I don't think we should just be liked. Otherwise, all we're saying is we agree with everything you say and think, and would you like a tea and biscuit with that? We don't agree with everything that is going on around us because he is the king of all kings. It's written on him. Therefore, we have to bow down even our culture kings in response to him and work out what on earth that looks like. It's felt painful for me. I'm involved with young people. It's felt painful for me to try and work out what, that, what, that, what, what that's going to look like for a bunch of young men and women that are going to struggle to know whether they're male, female, whether we outwork that with a gender-neutral pronoun, whether it's so painful. What I want to be able to present is a robust theology that says God made you, knows you, loves you, designed you. I want to help you work that out. That's painful. And we're going to have some, we're going to have a culture clash And when John says in the book of Revelation, there will be a battle, there will be a battle. And parents, if I'm honest, if you're not ready for a bit of blood, sweat and tears, um, well, I I just think you have to be ready for that. Some, some, I think some parents, and I want to appeal to you, you've just given up too soon. We've got to be in this and we've got to come alongside them. We've got to help wage war with the things that come into a clash with a kingdom culture. So I told you this would be a bit uncomfortable in places. I think for me it's about recognizing the beast and calling it what it is. So for me, the the gender issue has been one that I've looked at and just gone, what is that? And I think if I bring it right back to basics, it's basically hashtag not my king. It's I'm the king. I'm in charge. I say who I am. And I say it based on how I feel. And I think we're in a season where we need to help people base their stuff on truth. And we need to help people get to truth. We need to acknowledge that I know you feel like this. And we need to help you get to different places. 
I think there are things about our current culture that are, it is easier, when you take your kids out, it is easier to sit on your phone than engage with them or hear them whining about why they don't want to be there and don't want to be with you. I, I often think back and think, what did my mum used to do? Like, because she obviously did have a phone she could get lost in and like go somewhere else or even send me somewhere else. And I remember going places with her, moaning my head off, dragging my feet, like, bless her, like, you know, dragging myself and her just relentlessly keeping on going because I'm not sure there was an alternative. I want to flag up that I think there's a culture clash here and we need to be interdependent, not independent. Need to look at things like, this has been something God has been talking to me about with the whole King stuff, what we value. So academic achievement, results, finances, homes, cars, what we value. None of those things are bad, but where do they sit in a consumerist society? Where do they sit? Do they sit as my king or do they sit below the king? What are we training our kids in? What are we helping them to value and see? We, like the last few weeks, we've just done an audit on stuff. We're like, how do we feel about what they do for jobs, about where they're going to go? What? We've just been auditing our lives and just going, okay, well, what, how do we get that into line with bowing down and worshipping him, the king of all kings? And it's felt uncomfortable because some of the things I don't have answers for and some of the things we've got to wrestle with a bit more. And some we're chatting to other parents and saying, what about this? Some we're chatting, I'm not just talking to parents here, sorry. But some we are talking to people and going, what do you do with that? How does this work? How do we work this out? What do we do? And I think this, this particular area of him being the king of all kings is one for the next season that we just need to get nailed as a local church, I think we've hit our 10 years, we've done lockdown, and we're going into our next 10 years. In the next 10 years, we're going to grow up some more. And we're going to grow, grow, grow. One of the things we've got to do is make sure that he is the king of all kings. So that when we approach Sundays, we're not moaning about things that actually are, they're not there for you. This is there for him and for him to gather his people and he wants the rest of these seats filled with people who are out there building their own individualistic, it's all about me, consumer-driven worlds. He wants them in here, part of his community. So what do we do about that? Not, well, I don't like the songs and I'm not sure about the tea and coffee. What do we do about that? Look around you at the empty seats. What do we do about that? How do we help people recognize the king? How do we get them in? That's a, that's a priority of a people that have bowed down and are worshipping him. In your, in your home lives, what are we doing to make sure in my workplace that the king is seen, that he's recognized, that when I go in, there's something of the kingdom that comes with me. In, in our parenting, that it's not Western in its mindset, that it's kingdom, that I'm building family, culture, values, that I want my kids to grow up valuing the things that God values, not what the world around them values. It's not saying it's rubbish. It's just saying, how are we doing with that area? I'm going to bring us on to a bit of encouragement. 
I hope, I hope there's some areas where you just feel a little squirmy, where you think, okay, I want to look at that. I would say if it was me looking at it the last few weeks, where I've looked at him being king has been in my own personal heart and life. So where am I battling with the things that are not working for me? How this isn't... I, I think any time you feel like, well... Well, that just doesn't work for me. Or that just isn't hitting my box, ticking my... Whatever that, those things are, I would start there. So I've started on a few things in my own personal life, bits to do with parenting, bits... I, I, my personality type, um, I like to be loved. I'm not a people pleaser. I never have been. I like to be loved. And one of my personality profiles says loves to be adored. Stuart read it and he was crying with laughter. He said, yeah, basically that one line sums you up, loves to be adored. That is basically hashtag loves to be adored. Alongside that, God called me and asked me to be a prophet. So I have to speak some of the most uncomfortable things, call things out of people, recognize things. Those two things, they're not nice together because sometimes I am people's best friend and the person they least like to be around in the whole wide world. And so some, I, I have this sometimes, and you will know this because some of you are friends with me, sometimes I'm the nicest person to have in the room and the most uncomfortable person. And sometimes people really like me and sometimes people really dislike me. Oh, that's so painful for me because I carry a gift mix alongside what I'm like as a person that clash. They, they just clash. And often in the prophetic, I will see things warning-wise or future-wise or like, like that I just, like, I can't not communicate. And so it just, it's a clash. That's painful for me. And so every time I feel like I have friends who just retreat because it's too much, that's so painful for me personally. And I've had to, over the last few weeks, surrender that again. So actually, I'm called first to be yours, God. And I wouldn't have it any other way, but it's costly. And so you might have stuff in your own personal life that just costs you, that you just think, ah. I, I often feel, I don't say this for sympathy, I often feel lonely because I often feel like a road I walk down feels lonely and that is really hard when you're an extrovert and like to be adored. That, that feels, that's a hard road to walk but I do it bowing down regularly. I have to do that a lot. I wonder what your stuff is. So the encouragement is this. Revelation's really clear. It's all about Jesus. He's the king of all kings. He's the rider on the white horse. He wears the name Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He, at the end of day, stands victorious with an army, a family, a people around him that love him and adore him. He ultimately wins he is supreme over all creation. He stands and we all bow down at the end of the day. Some willingly and some because they have no other choice. The gospel is beautiful good news. It is good news that we have a king. It is the best news that we are not the king. 
we joke in our house, we say, if I was king for a day, and then we say what we would do, I think it would be horrendous if I was king for a day. There would be so many things that I would just go, oh, I'm done with that. Like, I, I get done with things. I'm like, oh, I'm done with that. I, it would be horrendous if I was king for a day. The gospel is beautiful. Many of you will have read on um, the internet, and I'm sorry if I'm, I'm sharing this and you haven't read it, that Tim Keller died the uh, day before yesterday uh, with a battle with um, cancer. Beautiful man of God, written some incredible books. If you've not read a Tim Keller book yet, you should. Or listen to him preach. Brilliant man of God. I want to say two things. All over the media, we will hear of men and women that fall from grace and their, their names will be shouted the loudest. Behind them stand thousands of men and women who stand for Jesus in beautiful ways and endure till the end. They are outrageous examples of what it means to love Jesus and follow Jesus. And their names won't be all over the media. So Tim Keller is a beautiful man of God He has loved his family, served the local church, written books. You might not agree with everything he says. That's fine. You won't agree with everything I say. I don't agree with everything you say. On the whole, he has loved Jesus fiercely and went to be with Jesus just a couple of days ago. He said this about the gospel, which is my favorite Tim Keller quote, to be honest. He says this, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We are more lost and more wretched than we ever dared believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved In Jesus Christ. It's just beautiful. The gospel is beautiful news for us. And the best thing we can do is bow down and acknowledge him as the king of all kings. The best thing we can do is try and get our lives to come in under his authority. The best things we can do is try and work out how to do family, how to do work, how to do future in under his authority. Check in all the time that we're living by a kingdom culture and bringing it in under his kingship rather than a worldly culture. The things I want you to check is, does my life look more Western than kingdom? And I want you to have a look at that. You can audit it very easily. A Western world mindset is loads of stuff. The biggest thing is it's all about me. And so you can check that very easily. You hold a mirror up on your life and you look at it. You look at your parenting, your works, everything. You just look at it all and go, is this individualistic, all about me, or is this kingdom culture, interdependent, family, sacrifice? Do the words I would use marry up with biblical stuff or Western? You can check it really easy. I found that to be very uncomfortable the last few weeks, so uh, you're welcome to join me the next few weeks in checking your lives on that. I think one of the ways you can recognize it is how do I view worship? 
If worship is, I like those, that song, I don't like that song, I'll sing that song, I'm not singing that song, then, then you are, you have a Western world mindset when it comes to worship. A kingdom one says this is all about the king. So I'll sing, I'll sing whatever. Like they're, quite frankly, they're about half the songs I love and about half of them I could leave. Most of them are not my style at all. Uh, that, you know, I'm being honest. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. It's all about my offering. It's all about my heart. It's not about my voice. It's not about the songs. It's all about him. When I read my word, you can tell it, I think, when you read the Bible. Is it above me? Or do I work out how to fudge it, how to fix it, how to make it fit with my life? Or is it in charge? And you can see it in your world. Look around your home. Think, what is it that we are doing to help people see the king? How are we helping fill seats? What are we doing to bring them in? What are we doing to enlarge our family, to gather? Or is it all about me? We serve a beautiful king. I'm going to read the Tim Keller quote one more time. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. And yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I'm going to invite you to stand now. I want us to worship the King of all kings. I want us to hear the warning, Real Life Church. This is not about me. This is all about him. Hashtag not my king cannot be how we live.